The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with more than 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 22 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 1st of February, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. On this episode of Squawk Ident, I have the opportunity to speak with an amazing pilot who started out in the aviation industry as a dispatcher for Singapore Airways Freight Division. He quickly migrated over to the controls of fixed-wing aircraft flying a traffic watch Cessna 172 around Chicagoland for WGN AM720. Find out more about his journey and the steps he took to earning his position as a Boeing 737 pilot at a U.S. legacy carrier. All this and more on this episode of Squawk Ident. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, right after a brief word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Well, it's been busy here at the Aviator Sound Studios since our last episode. Speaking of our last episode, what did you think? Uh, Not every day I have an opportunity to conduct an interview with uh, someone so dear to me. Luca was my very first flight instructor. He was with me on my very first fixed-wing flight uh, behind the controls of an airplane and saw me through my private pilot rating. So very, very special friend. Uh, His journey really has taken him all over the world from flying in Africa and the Caribbean, uh, over in the Isle of Man, and now back in Italy flying uh, in an operation where he gets to be home quite often with his family. So, you know, good job for him. And thanks again to Luca for, you know, spending the time with me. I know it's a quite a bit of a time zone change and he stayed up late just to sit down with me for that interview so if you haven't checked out episode 21 i encourage you to check it out now also uh, what did you think of the show i'd love to have listener feedback you can do so either by going directly to the website at www.aviatortony.com that's alpha victor the number eight Romeo Tango Oscar November Yankee.com. And from there, you can right on the bottom of the homepage send me some feedback. 
uh, or uh, you can send me feedback through DMs on the social media sites. Speaking of, uh, I did a trip since that last interview. It was a really nice two-day trip over to Kona and uh, flew with a, a very senior captain who was really laid back, just had a great attitude, and his story was actually quite interesting. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough time to sit down for an interview. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to fly with him again soon, and I can bring you some of his journey. Now, those of you that follow me on the social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, you might have seen some of the photos that I posted from that trip over in Kona. I had a great opportunity to go for a run, and normally I would run southbound from the hotel, and it takes me around pretty much most of the strip where all the resorts are. Uh, it's a safe place to go run, though you know traffic is minimal, but I was suggested to go running just north of the airport on one of the lava flows where there's actually a shut down or closed down airport that's what used to be the old Kona airport and they turned it into kind of a recreation area. There's a beach access over there, there's a little botanical garden. It was actually quite nice. So I got my run in, I posted a few photos, and you know, it was a relatively short two-day trip. So, but speaking of the um, Instagram and Facebook and whatnot, if you don't already follow Squawk Ident on the social media platforms, if you're on social media, come check us out. There I do post quite a bit between episodes, so you can kind of get the idea of what's going on in my schedule. But let's move forward to this episode. What a treat it was to sit down with my dear friend Max, who I've known for years now. We've had a similar path, at least at the point from when we both ended up at the regional airline together, and our progression there was timed just about the same. We're, we're pretty close in seniority, so every time there was a movement within the company or, or what have you, we kind of touched bases quite a bit and kind of kept up over the years. He started to give me some feedback on the podcast and I was like, hey, you know, why don't you join me? Let's let's do an interview and possibly a couple shows together and see how it goes, see how you like it. And he was all for it. So he went on a little vacation, got back from his trip and was willing to sit down with me tonight. So here is the audio from that very special interview. Well, today I am very privileged to have on the show a special guest. Uh, we've known each other for quite some time now. We shared a job over at the regional carrier that we both flew for, a uh, fictitious name that we refer to as Sandpiper Regional, on the show here at Squawk Ident. He started his career as a dispatcher, flying or actually dispatching for Singapore Airways. He, at the same time, was working on some of his flight ratings and soon got a job working for WGM AM 720 in Chicago, flying Cessna 172s around the state for the traffic division of the radio station. That turned into a CFI position over at DePage Airport in Illinois, flight instructing on Cessna 172s and alike. 
Soon, he got a job as a charter pilot flying Cessna 421 for a company named Illinois Aviation out of DuPage. That parlayed into a regional airline position, the one we affectionately call Sandpiper Regional. He was there from about uh, 2006 to about 2018. Started out as a first officer and worked his way up to captain in 2011. Because of economic times, he ended up being displaced back to FO. It's never an easy thing for a pilot to go through, and he's going to talk a little bit about that today. He then earned a position through a wonderful agreement that we like to call the flow-through agreement. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Got a position at Legacy Carriers. He is now flying on a 737, right seat for Legacy Airways. Please help me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Max Friend. Thanks, Anthony. I've been a listener for your show since uh, the beginning, and I appreciate you letting me come on and talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for your support and participation today. This is awesome. So, uh, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, I've been enjoying some vacation, so it's uh, back to work soon, but uh, definitely enjoyed the time off. Oh my God, I am so sorry that you have to go back to work. Rough but, life. You know, we got to earn a living, right? Yep, absolutely. So in your introduction, I kind of briefly went over how your journey took you through the path that was either laid before you or how you uh, you know earned your way and the decisions you made to get where you are today. And that's really what this show is is primarily about is the journey of the aviators that I have the privilege in speaking with. And you had mentioned to me a few times that uh, you know you started out as a dispatcher. And you know usually as a dispatcher, uh, okay, you're you're behind a desk, you're at a computer, you're, you're licensed, you're FAA licensed to be a dispatcher. Pretty good job, good, good money, I would assume. What led you to say, hey, you know what, I want to fly airplanes? Uh, well, the, the dispatcher wasn't something that uh, I initially had set out to do. It was kind of uh, along the path, as, as you diligently said. Um, so it was kind of... Uh, um, being a dispatcher is actually you take the same written as your ATP certificate written. It's exactly the same test. Um, after that, you do an oral exam where they have you pa uh, plan a flight. Mine was Chicago to LaGuardia on a 737. Oh. And uh, they usually give you an MEL or uh, non-operating equipment that you have to manage throughout the flight. And once that's done, you earn your certificate. So it's just a written and a uh, oral exam to earn your dispatcher license. Ah, and it must be a relatively challenging license to achieve, considering it is pretty much just like the ATP. Uh, you know, I did it at uh, I did it at university, so I was probably somewhere between nineteen and twenty years old when I got my license. Oh wow! So it's uh it's it's just part of the path i would say it's it's something along the path that you could do and the reason that i did it was uh as a backup 
to still be involved in aviation for any reason I were to lose my medical. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's something that I could do. My initial plan was to be into commercial aviation. So earning my dispatcher license is something that's relatively easy. I mean, nothing is completely easy. You have to study and prepare for it just like anything. Mm-hmm. But it was on the same lines, and I, if, if something were to happen to me and I were to lose my medical, I could still be employed with health insurance and still be involved in aviation, which is what we both love. So that's pretty smart, actually. You, you started out with an idea. You always wanted to be in commercial aviation, but that was kind of the path you took was to get this dispatcher rating because it was something that you felt you know you could do. And then use later on in your career. That's actually something that you don't really hear very often. Someone thinking that far ahead in this aviation career. I, I got my hats off to you for that. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of times at most universities that I know of, at least in the Chicago area, and I guess the Midwest, Western Michigan and UND, um, all offer that program as part of the curricula- curriculum to uh, completing in the aviation science uh, degree. So it's it's not required, but it's an additional thing that you can do. So, you know, it, what, it was difficult to plan it in my other classes because mm-hmm. it, it was an extra course. It took me about a year to get through all the, all the stuff, but it was all relative. So as you're learning, um, as you're learning, your commercial written and your airline transport written, mm-hmm. it's exactly the same test. So I took them both at the same time. Nice. So how did that uh, job, and you, you mentioned to me you work working for which carrier? Uh, Singapore Airlines. It was a freighter division. So I did it at uh, in the middle of the night. Ah, there in, uh, in Illinois? Yeah, at O'Hare. At O'Hare. Terminal so five. you were sitting yeah. there in your, I'd say, early 20s? Working yeah. at, at O'Hare at nighttime, doing uh, dispatcher duties for a freighter company. But seven yeah, four so, seven uh, what were they flying back then? Yeah, it was a seven four uh, classic, so seven four two hundred and the seven four four hundred. Um, but I would uh, after I got my certificate and I got the job, um, I started scheduling some of my classes to evening and night classes, and then I would go. Oh, I guess evening classes some of the classes would end around like nine or 10 o'clock, but that would give me enough time to get to O'Hare and start preparing for the the freighters that were coming in. And I would usually work there till about three, four-ish in the morning, go back to school, sleep before my next class. Nice. So, it, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't fun, but it gave me, uh, I guess, I mean, I'm in college, so it gave me beer money for college. There you go. Very important. So you, that kind of paved the way for you, gave you an opportunity to see a side of the operation that I'd probably venture to say safely that most aviators don't really have the opportunity. I mean, you study it when you're, you know, you're learning all your ratings and you kind of study that part of it, especially when you're getting ready to take your ATP written, you have to deal with tear weights and pallet sizes and things like that because it's part of the written. Um, but after that, as an aviator, you never really kind of go back to it, and you had the opportunity to actually work in the field. And so you started doing that. That led to eventually what was a CFI position out of DuPage. What can you tell me about that progression? 
Yeah, so I, I did that uh, in the, I did the dispatcher position in college, and then um, I did it for for probably about six months as I was a flight instructor. But it kind of got to be a little bit too much at me or too much for me um, because I would do the the freighters at night, and then I would drive to the airport, sleep at uh, DuPage until my first student came in, and. Uh, it was, it was really rough on me. And after some time it was hard to schedule. Yeah. It was hard to schedule a shower. So I had to, I had to leave the job as a dispatcher. Yeah. So now you were flying full time as an instructor at this point? Uh, no, I, I actually started my, my flying career. So not dispatching, but actually flying airplanes. Uh, after university, I started looking for a job and the first job, the first flying job that I could find was the traffic pilot for the AM radio station. And I've always gotten and, a kick out of that. Every time you tell me that, I just think that's so impressive. So you were there flying, you know, a reporter around, right? With And they would report yeah. in over the radio, the traffic in the morning? Yep. So we had uh, three reporters, an AM reporter, a midday reporter, and a PM reporter. And um, you would pick one of those shifts and you'd fly them around for several hours. Nice. Over the Chicago area, and, and they'd be looking out the window reporting traffic, um, and I would be flying. I mean, it was challenging because you're low, and uh, you're hopping from one airspace to another. So after a while, you start midway. It's uh, tower frequency, O'Hare's tower frequency, Gary, Indiana, DuPage. You all have them memorized. Yeah. And did you have, what were you using back then? You had GPS, was it a Garmin, uh, was it 430, 530, something like that? Do you remember? Oh, no. It, it was a sectional. You were using VFR sectionals to uh, make yeah. sure you didn't penetrate any uh, controlled airspace. And man, oh, that's this is, old school. This is old school. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So this is like real pilotage uh, yeah. stuff here, yeah. you know? So this is, this is what you did for how long? Uh, it's just the traffic job. Yeah. Uh, I did that for probably uh, six months or so. Um, but, I mean, for a new aviator, it was probably the most fantastic job because you would get a lot of flight time. They were three to four hour shifts. So you'd be flying for the entire three, four hour shifts. Uh -huh. um, it was not dull. You know, it was jumping from one airspace to another. And um, you got really good at that, just like you said, pilotage. Mm -hmm. Um, you got to fly low, which was cool. Um, I got to work with, uh, the other traffic helicopters. So we had a police helicopter or Chicago had a police helicopter. And at that time, three, uh, helicopters for other news stations. So WGN also had a news helicopter as well. Hmm. So we had two frequencies. One, we would be talking to the airspace controller. So if we were over by Midway, then we'd be talking to Midway at number one, and on number two, we'd be talking to the other helicopters that were covering the same story. What an experience. I mean, talk about almost like trial by fire. Here you are, kind of a fresh aviator, not too many years background of flying, and your first job, you're in it. You're you're doing all the... And manually, no doubt, you know, you're not looking at a GPS or... You didn't have autopilot on that thing, did you? 
No, it was just a stick and rudder and a sectional in your hand and uh, working the radios. Damn, it's like Indiana Jones shit right there. <laughs> it, it was actually it was it was exactly like that. It was a it was probably one of probably the most fun jobs I've ever had. Yeah, and so how did that lead into a charter flying position? Oh yeah, so first it was traffic, and then um, you know. Most of the time, when you're when at least when we started out, you were walking around at the airport with your resume, and always looking for the next thing. Um, and the next thing for me was flight instructing. I had my uh, after graduating university, I had my CFI, CFII, and MEI. Mm-hmm. So I got picked up by flight school at DuPage, which is actually where I flew traffic out of. Mm-hmm. So you were doing both of them at the same time. For a little while. Yeah. Uh, then I did primarily flight instructing. Okay. And then, and how did that turn into a charter position? Um, same thing. Walking around with your resume and you find somebody that uh, had a, I, there was a 421 on the field. The guy, I started out in the, the right seat of that and I got uh, um, high altitude endorsement because that was a pressurized 421. Yeah. Um, and then after some time, I flew it for a little while. Nice. So after all this experience, you know, here you are, you know, flying, you know, out of DuPage primarily, and you, same thing, you're networking, you're marketing yourself, you're, you know, filling out applications, you're doing everything a piston-powered pilot is constantly thinking about is, okay, I'm doing this now, it's fun now, what's the next step? And your next step was when you were able to maintain a job at a regional airline. How did that turn into from flying charters and flight instructing to getting a job at a regional? So um, it was just, it, things were different than they are now. Um, at the time when, when you and I were both looking for jobs uh, at a regional, uh, you needed quite a bit of time. So at the time that I got uh, an interview, I had approximately 2,000 hours total time. and maybe a little less than a thousand multi-engine time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually sent out uh, resumes kind of everywhere and it was uh luck of the draw that, uh, we, that I got picked up at the regional that I did. I actually first interviewed with Colligan mm-hmm. and they shot me down. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So I got, I got turned down from Colligan, which is right. a blessing in disguise because they're no longer in existence. Right. 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 No, that's actually a very good thing. The funny thing, I was my pathway kind of took me the opposite. I put my applications out kind of everywhere because here I was flight instructing full time, and all the people that were working under me at the flight school were getting jobs. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know, to be an assistant chief here is great, but it's time I move on. And the first one that called me was uh, the, the airline we call Sandpiper Regional. Um, and they called me within. 24 hours of submitting it after I was in ground school at said regional, I got a phone call from Colgan and they're like, Hey, we want to invite you to come over for an interview. I'm like, Oh, thanks. I got a job. And oh yeah, but you know, our upgrade times are, you know, over there, it's like 14 years. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I, I got a job. Thanks. Um, and again, I kind of like dodged a bullet because if I would have ran for that grass is greener, you know, who knows where I would have ended up. So, so you, I think that's, that's sounds like that's you did really the same. True. Yeah. 
So here you are working for Sandpiper. Um, how was that experience going through new hire class and kind of getting out on the line? Any fond memories or anything you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I, for me, it was a blast. Um, it was a little bit stressful. Um, and it was, uh, I, you know, just like you as a big fish in a little pond. Now you're a little fish in a big pond. So that was an adjustment. And, uh, our regional was attached to a larger company. So that was a little bit overwhelming as well. Um, the, uh, this, the ground school was intense, but uh, manageable, and I probably attribute that to my background as a dispatcher because I was familiar with flight plannings. I was familiar with uh, 121 rules. Uh, I was familiar with, um, you know, uh, alternates, second alternates. Yeah. I was familiar with airplane systems because yeah. we went to a basic ground school on the 7-4, so... I learned about the basic systems on the 7-4, all the cool stuff that goes along it with like body gear steering and MELs yeah, because yeah. Uh, those airplanes did come in with MELs and that affected the the flight. So uh, ground school was uh, actually a lot, a lot of fun for me. And uh, everybody in my class that I got hired with, I'm still friends with to this day. Yeah, it's funny how that that uh, that happens. You know, you kind of... We're currently flying for a, an airline that has what fifteen thousand plus uh, pilots on the line, and you know you think, oh, you know, you fly with somebody once and you'll never see them again. Um, but then you run across somebody that was in your new hire class twenty, fifteen, ten years ago, and it's like your, it's like your brothers or sisters. You know, you're, you've never, you've never, uh, even though you may have spoken with them for two or three years it just feels like you've got this connection because you went through a traumatic time together you have this common bond this common stress that was in your life that that really everything revolved around it until you got past that check ride until you've got that piece of paper in your hand so there's a that definite bond i know exactly what you're talking about and and most of our listeners you know probably know exactly what you're talking about as well and if you don't it is a, a wonderful time. Yes, it's stressful, but take the time to enjoy it. Take the time to make connections with your friends that, you know, your new coworkers, because they will help you later on down the road, get through some very stressful times as well. You know, that couldn't have said it better uh, myself, Anthony. It was uh, one of the things that you said at the very beginning is you talked about the journey and everybody's path is similar and different but the people that you meet along your journey are really going to help you out uh with personal stuff uh aviation related stuff i don't know um i'm sure you still talk to and are friends with people not just seeing them in the terminal but talking to them on the phone on a yeah. overnight uh yeah and um you know there's things that friends have told me where i thought Oh my gosh, thank God that happened to you and not to me because I don't know what I would have done. How did you handle that? But yeah, very much. And that built and that builds your experience yeah. by, you know, things that happen to other people and you keeping in touch with them. Right. That's a process of learning is, you know, I like to hear you know, I'm not sitting there and and you know, Monday morning quarterbacking and I absolutely loathe that. I would never do that. Um, but 
I do like hearing about incidences that happen on the line because then if by chance that event happens to you, you now have some kind of background to, oh, they, I remember that happening and it happened to them and this is how they handled it. And I remember them saying they wish they would have done this and, oh, now it's happening to me. And this all happens in a split second, a microsecond, you know, it's that crucial conversation your brain is having with the events that are happening right at this moment. And the more power you have, the more knowledge you have, the better the outcome is going to be. And you're absolutely right. Those, those experiences, those stories that you get to share with those individuals, especially those from your new hire training class or, you know, from early on in the uh, onset of an uh, aviation career are absolutely monumental. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it is a brotherhood, um, and there's really not too many people that uh, I don't like out there that are doing this job. Uh, anybody that I guess maybe I thought differently from, uh, they didn't proceed all the way to the apex of our career, which is where we're at now. Yeah. Um, usually, the process will uh, weed out those people that kind of. Um, don't have the same train of thought as the rest of us. Yeah, it really because it is does an breed, attitude, huh? It does breed an attitude, a personality type, um, and also the interview processes along the way. Uh, from you know, you learn to interview, and as you learn to interview, you learn about yourself, and mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be asked every single interview. Um, tell me a time when. Oh yeah, be prepared, and, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, and, and and tell me a time when means t- share with me a story when something happened to you and and how you handled it. Yeah, and they're going to ask how you handled things poorly. What would you have done different, and how you handled things well, and how how it succeeded. Right, and that process being asked along the way numerous times throughout your career um, builds character, and it. You have to be able to fess up when you make a mistake. You have to be able to be humbled by it and explain that mistake to your next employer um, well. And that's part of the process is being humble. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember, you know, hearing both hearing stories and going through experiences myself where, you know, you, you maybe you, you flub up a uh, a check ride and you get, you get the notorious pink slip for whatever reason and you're like oh my god my career's over no one's gonna hire me and you go through this uh time frame in your in your life and in your career where you think okay that's it my that's it it's over but that passes and then you realize well you know it happened what did i learn and you move forward and i've been at interviews and they say have you ever failed a check ride before and i'll be the first to admit yes i have i have failed a check ride and i i yeah. I I'd be the I'd be the second to admit I have as well. And 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 you know what that's uh it's part of the process of yeah. the journey like you said. Uh you you real it's very rare for someone to go through their entire career uh never having a failure. Whether that be a check ride, whether that be an engine, whether that be anything. So um it it all kind of comes down to the process that you learn when you go through that failure. Like you talked about briefly, it was at first the shock. I failed. Yeah. This the second thing that sets in is disappointment. And you kind of beat yourself up about it because 
being a pilot is something that we're all proud of. It's so, very personal. Yeah, it, it is very personal for you to fail at something that you're trying to do is is a huge defeat. So you have to be able to manage that. And then the second part is to sit down after that and look at why you did fail and and fix it. Right. And remember from it. Right. Well, your your journey took you through a time at a regional airline post 9/11 and where upgrades were were very slow. Uh, income levels were better than they were generations back, but still they struggled to keep up with the industry average income level. So here you were, you you know, the expense of going through all this training, all this licensing, you know, these jobs that are exciting, but don't really pay the best, at least not for the goal that you're intending to reach towards at minimum the midpoint in your career so that you can enjoy the tail end. And here you are getting a job at a regional. We got paid okay. I mean, I probably could have made more working full-time at a fast food restaurant as a assistant manager or something. Uh, so working minimum wage junior management would have paid way better than an airline first officer, uh, at least at the time in 2006, 2007, and somewhere in that area. And you actually upgraded pretty quick. So you were telling me in 2011, you had upgraded to captain at a time when we're, we're looking at 10, 12, even 14 year upgrades. How did that go for you? Uh, well, I, uh, I was really excited for it. And, um, I remember studying, um, I remember studying for this a month ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I walked in there. I walked into the first day of captain ground school being ready to take the check ride. Nice. Um, cause I, I kind of knew what was coming. I, I knew what to expect. Um, so I prepared a month ahead of time. Uh, but uh, the, you asked the reason why we upgraded relatively quick was because the the, the flow through the process had just started right uh -huh. around that time. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of right at that cusp. And um, I remember I finished my captain checkride on the day the legacy airline filed for bankruptcy. Ah, uh, yes, that was, uh, was that end of 2012, early 2013, was it? Somewhere around there? Yeah, right Yeah, right around there. So yeah. I can't remember that. I thought it was the end of uh, 2011, but maybe it was 2012. But it was the exact same day. Yeah. I walked I walked out of the uh, simulator. I was super excited, got yeah. the bus back to the hotel, and everybody was in the lobby watching the TV Yeah. that the airline had filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. And I thought, I, I was excited. I was like, wow, all these people are here for me. <laughs> until someone pointed to the TV. <laughs> so you you got your slip in your hand. You got your ATP. You got your captain up. Yes. There. Yes. So you, I think I think you and I, I, did we know each other back then? I don't think we did. Uh, not as well as we do no, now. Yeah. Uh, so we. I knew. I. I remember because I was not far behind you. I had actually had a class date. When that happened, I had a captain right. upgrade class date. I was going to be based in Miami. I, you know, the whole, oh, we're going to plan this whole thing. I'm going to move and get a condo in Miami and be a captain and end up at a at the legacy carrier down there and find seven, seven, five, seven, sixes over to Europe, whatever. Okay. So, you know, you go through this story in your head and I can remember 
I, I think that's when we started talking a little more because I was talking with people that were in the simulator, like doing their maneuvers validation or whatever it was before the actual typewrite. And then they claimed the bankruptcy, this company that uh, we currently fly for. And those guys were like, okay, well, you know, uh, one more, one more sim and I get my ride and then you can displace me. And they're like, nope, nope, you're sorry. You go back to FO. Like, well, you know, we did all this work. Let me finish this typewrite. It's one sim session tomorrow. Let me, and nope, sorry. And those guys had to go back to the line as an FO because they were still current, uh, never getting that slip of paper in their hand. And you were one of the fortunate ones that had the slip of paper by the skin of your teeth. I remember that. So, so it's interesting that you say that because I've, I've thought about it in the back of my mind. Would I have rather had the opportunity but then had the opportunity taken away from you? Or would you have rather never had it at all? Yeah. And I thought about it and it, the problem, there's two things in my career I would say that are, were the most defeating talking about just the career. And one of them was losing the captain seat for something that had nothing to do with me. Right. Uh, it was really it was tough for me because it was the first time that I'm that I experienced anything like that. I I don't come from a family of aviators, so I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, basically someone coming into your job after a lot of hard work and saying, "You're going to go back to do your old job." Uh, just kidding. And that it goes it goes away with the you you lose your four stripe you lose yeah. pay you lose everything yeah now and that's tough and and I'm really sorry that you had to go through that um, I never even made it to the simulator I uh, I had my class date moved back two weeks and then they moved it back another two weeks and that's when I kind of knew something's up and then you had just finished the sim and then, you know, the next day it's like, oh yeah, we're bankruptcy is happening. Here it is. And I thought, oh, and then of course, 24 hours later, your uh, upgrade class has now been canceled. Yep. So, yeah. so, I mean, both, both are bad positions to be in. Um, you know, one is you never had the opportunity to do it. And the other one is you had the opportunity to do it, but you know, execution day is coming. Yeah. But luckily for both of us, that period uh, was very short-lived. Um, for a while, I know I kind of found a pathway in Los Angeles. I was based in Los Angeles at the time with uh, Sandpiper Regional, um, and I was able to find pathways to kind of keep busy and do something different and not be one of the individuals that said, F this, I'm out of here, and then, you know, pull chocks and, and left the company. Uh, I think at the time, we went from a 3,000 pilot strong company to about 1,600 after bankruptcies and mergers and all that kind of stuff happened, which, you know, half the pilot group gone, you know, bases yeah. closed. And it was a tough time. But luckily, and I think you said you, you upgraded not soon thereafter. It was a couple of years, wasn't it? Or a year? Yeah. So, my my displacement lasted about a year. And like you said, when things happen at your airline, um, whatever airline it happens to be, there are going to be things happening. It's um, being at, a, at an airline where seniority counts is almost kind of like being married. 
you got to see it through good times and bad times. And uh, there are going to be good times and there are going to be bad times. And you, um, it's heartbreaking to leave it. Um, so, you know, if I would say that the best advice is to pick an airline that you really want to be at. Yeah. Don't don't pick an airline that uh, don't pick a career airline. That's where you end up. Pick a place that you aspire to be to. Right, right. So you ended up about a year and upgrading again. Uh, that process, did you have to go through long-term all over again, or was it more of a qualification? Um, I think that my thing was uh, a qualification, so a check ride again. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe that I went back for simulator training. Um, I think they give I you like a, I think they give you like one or two sim sessions to evaluate after that period of time. I know a year, a lot of, I can remember a lot of people that were in your same scenario uh, or maybe we're on the line for a few weeks before they, you know, were displaced back to first officer. Uh, they, they were complaining because they said, "Okay, you're going. Here's your sim. It's gonna be your. You're gonna get requalled." And you're, and they're like, "Well, wait a minute. I haven't been in the left seat, and now you just one sim, and I'm done." And they wanted more, but I think it was like one or two sim sessions, and then, you know, they they put their seal of approval because you're already typed. Um, those right. that were in long term, they were there for six weeks, and then they never made it past the check ride portion of the simulator training events, um, they had to redo the whole thing because obviously they were never called. So, um, yeah, tough time for everyone. Uh, but we all made it through it. Those of us, uh, that were at Sandpiper at the time, and that led to a very prosperous time, uh, with, at least with our regional, uh, sitting in the left seat. And it wasn't long after you had upgraded that you got a phone call from uh, uh, someone in the training department. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I, well, it was one of those things where, um, again, I was wandering around with my resume as the positions were posted and actively trying to pursue it. They didn't, uh, as much as I would love to believe they searched me out. Uh, it was actually the other way around. I was knocking on their door. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, they, uh, I was lucky enough to be considered for a Czech airman position. Nice. And you and I kind of were doing that at the same time and collaborated many times, uh, many, many late night uh, phone calls on, you know, getting each other's feedback on how to handle certain scenarios. Uh, for me, it was probably one of my most rewarding times in my aviation career, uh, flying in and out of Chicago, based out of Chicago, uh, dealing with line uh, IOE, uh, which is initial operating experience. Any any new hire pilot that goes through training at said airline, whatever airline that is, um, at the conclusion of the simulator training event where they're typed in the aircraft and you know they have the FAA's approval, you're now typed, here you go, you, you're now legal to fly the airplane. And their first experience in the airplane does have passengers in the back. So they have to be with a captain who is qualified to sit in either seat and basically is able to fly the airplane on their own while training need be. Uh, most of the time, uh, the, all the qualif- they're all qualified applicants. It was just business as usual. And you're really kind of just answering questions and making sure site pictures are correct on for landing and takeoff and procedures are done correctly because for a lot of these aviators, 
these were a first time at a 121 environment. Um, so they had a lot of questions. And you and I went back and forth quite a bit over that time. Is there any particular event or story that really stands out that was very rewarding for you during that period? Uh, yeah, you know, you and I were both lucky to be the ones that were doing that. Um, and I, I still remember the interview. First interview question is why, why did, why do you want to be a Czech airman? <laughs> yes. And, um, the way that I answered that was completely truthful is that when I was brand new at, uh, Sandpiper, I had an excellent experience with my Czech airmen. I, I still kept in touch with them. Some of them I'm still friends with on Facebook. Um, they actually both have retired. Um, but um, I was overwhelmed with how well they handled me. And there's no way that I would ever say I'm an aviator. I'm a learned aviator. I learned. And... Uh, I made mistakes and these guys really kind of picked me up, dusted me off and put me back on track. So I wanted to do that to give back to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wanted to do it better. Um, I remember that when I was brand new, I was sitting in the right seat of a regional jet thinking how big this thing was and how overwhelmed I was with the operation of the, uh, of the airport. So I had my first student and uh we were taxiing out of O'Hare and the first time he got his instructions ground instructions from O'Hare he just looked at me. <laughs> yeah. So of course I got the radios because uh it's just one of those things where it's like yep I did the exact same thing. Yeah. It was overwhelming. Very overwhelming um, especially O'Hare. Uh, yeah. So after that, uh, one of the things I, I did with my next student was I took him to an area where we can kind of observe the layout of O'Hare. And we kind of went over expected taxi instructions. And that really made a big difference to him. And seeing the progress of a student do better than I did when I was new. Mm -hmm. making it even easier for them to be successful and giving them the confidence to continue pushing themselves really was super rewarding. Yeah. It's quite the other thing, that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a Czech airman, I'm sure, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it with you in the terminal as well. When I'm standing next to you is that everybody remembers their first Czech airman and it's the coolest thing in the world where you walk through the terminal and it's like a gym locker room. Everybody's saying hello to you, shaking your hand, yeah. um, because both you and I are like-minded and try to make the best experience for them. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you, know, you were talking about the, uh, the interview process, and uh, I can remember uh, being interviewed by the, uh, the person in charge there in the training center for the Czech Airmen, and he asked me that very question. So why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be a Czech Airman? And I gave, you know, some answer, not unlike what you had just explained. You know, my first experiences uh, with the Czech Airman, I still talk to him to this day. He's always been so helpful. And I want to be able to do that and return the favor. Uh, and I really have always enjoyed flight instructing and, and you know, not just teaching, but kind of helping my fellow aviator out and 
that's how I feel like my value my in my contribution to this career field. Uh, he goes, oh, good, good. That's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, you want to hear a bad answer? <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. He's like, yeah, uh, I've, I've done 20 interviews today. Uh, you're like my, my, my 20th. That's it for today. After you, I'm done. And I've heard today all kinds of things. My favorite, uh, and I had to write it down because I've never heard this before from an applicant who wants to be a chairman. I asked him and he said, for the money and the power. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it's funny because that's, that's what we, we had talked about briefly earlier in, in the interview that uh, as this, as your journey starts, and uh, ends in your career, uh, you really learn a lot about yourself and how to answer questions. Uh, maybe that person never got a question like that, so he didn't really know how to answer it. And maybe he was a, a totally good and uh, successful pilot. Um, maybe he could have learned to be a good Czech airman, um, but he didn't have the experience in how to answer those questions. So. Yeah, it didn't well, work out for him. We've said it before in the show, and we've we've said it earlier in this uh, very episode. You know, it's all about your attitude. Have a good attitude. Be be humble. Be willing to learn. Be willing to admit that you know, yeah, you've made mistakes. You are human, after all. So you're, you know, until they put robots that can fly airplanes. I hope Tesla doesn't get into the aviation market because then I'm really going to be worried. But you know, it, it really is. As long as you're humble, as long as you're honest. You know, this career that people will go and bend over backwards to help you out. But the minute you have this attitude of, well, I'm, you know, I'm God's gift to aviation, you know, watch this, hold my beer. You know, (laughs) that's just, you're right. The industry does, for the most part, weed that uh, segment out. The troubling portion is when you have a career aviator that's 30 maybe even 40 years into it getting ready to retire and they've developed that attitude it's a little harder to to (laughs) to weed out i think um and that is very much a a fact uh in the industry there are always that you know eight percent seven percent that we talk about sometimes those are the people that we talk about 90% 90% of the time, right? But uh, yeah, but for the most part, a good attitude will go a long way in this industry, no matter what level well, you're at. It's interesting that you say that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done uh, remedial training on an applicant. I had a person that was a regular line pilot that made an, uh, a mistake. Mm. And uh, he exceeded the flap limitation on the airplane. And they sent him up with a check airman to be reviewed. Mm-hmm. I remember when I met him, I, I knew what, what had happened, and I met him, and right away, immediately, it was humble. He was completely aware of what he did, uh, embarrassed, and ready to, to go prove himself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I, I don't know what, let's go fly. Like, There's really nothing else to talk about if you're completely aware of what happened and with that attitude i don't suspect it'll happen again right. and then flying with him it was completely aware that or i was completely aware that he was completely scared to death that he made a mistake and this is never going to happen again right right and you know so, sometimes that's the best way to learn you, you make a mistake hopefully not a critical critical one but you make a mistake on the line you know and it's not just true in aviation it's true in i think every aspect of any professional career you make a mistake 
and you learn from it and you move on and you vow not to make that mistake again. You change your behavior, you change your action, you change your mentality. And, and usually that's it. It's all attitude. Um, so this is what we kind of dealt with, uh, during the same period of time. And then, uh, you and I were both approached by our certificate management office, FAA representative, uh, who came at the time when upgrades were plentiful, the airline couldn't keep up with all the FAA observation rides. Uh, they were so inundated that people were waiting weeks, if not almost a month before they went from IOE training to their line check. And that of course was causing people to kind of get rusty and, you know, not being in the airplane for a few weeks. And, and so the FAA said, no, we can't do this anymore. You know, we're, we're spread too thin. So they asked a couple individuals throughout the company on different air type uh, to represent them to do uh, what they call FA observations. So the FA sits in the jump seat and observes a new captain getting his or her line check, which is the final step in IOE for a captain upgrade. Uh, and the FA usually just sits there and observes, and as long as no FARs are violated and everything looks okay, and the line check is successful most of the time, uh, then hey, thumbs up. It's a complete or incomplete uh, scenario. And the FAs, you know, pats you on the back and, and you're on your way. You're, congratulations. Your next flight is going to be a revenue flight uh, where you sign the logbook. You're a captain. And uh, you and I were both approached. And that's, you know, we were already uh, friends at that point and communicating uh, weekly. Uh, and then we really, uh, kind of got into this huge responsibility of in being in a, what they called an FAC or an FA authorized check airman. Um, and we had to sit in the jump seat in a tight, tight cockpit, the Embraer 145, where that fold down, completely erect back panel <laughs> where your kneecaps were constantly being bruised by the center pedestal. And we had to sit there during line checks um, and observe and, you know, just sit there, sign a piece of paper, do some forms. And for me, that was rewarding as well. Um, and I think that also helped the candidates and the check airmen alike because now they had a company person observing versus the FAA and that whole stigma of being upset and, you know, oh, this FAA guy's here. They're here to bust my balls. You know, it's like, uh, no, that's not why they're there, but they're not here. I'm here. I'm representing them. And it kind of made everything a little less stressful, I think. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the exact same check ride, um, that we would observe as the FA would observe. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually the FA representative that you and I both worked for, uh, I think he was an excellent guy. I really liked working for Very him. well sped. Yeah. He's, he, he, to this day, just the most respect for that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I learned a lot from him in doing that position um, because not every FAA person or person with FAA authorization is a scary thing. That's what I learned from him. Uh, the way that he handled it was uh, I emulated it um, because I thought it was so well done. And what he did is he introduced himself, uh, made one really corny joke to kind of relax people. But mm -hmm. then while the airplane was sitting at the gate and the pilots were getting the airplane ready, he would just kind of stand on the jet bridge, let the pilots get the airplane 
the flight board, the passengers, and kind of stay out of the way and stay. He prevented himself from the hovering figure of the FA. Yeah. And um, when I was watching, when I was learning from him, he was like, look, the airplane's at the gate. It's uh, right there next to me. It's not going anywhere. I'll get on when it's time. And it gives these guys a little bit of time to decompress and relax a little bit. Because just like you, just like me, and just like the FA person that we both worked for, mm-hmm. we all wanted our applicants to do well. Right. Less paperwork for and, later. <laughs> well, that and, and it was it was a it was a disappointment to us when they sure they didn't do well. Right. So like if you had a student that didn't do well as a Czech airman, it was it was a disappointment to you. It was for me. Yeah. So uh, that's, you know, as you're going through your journey, um, not too many. I mean, I'm sure there's there's the 1% out there just like anywhere. But most FA people that I've come into uh, contact with throughout my career, mm-hmm. they've never been there to uh, make your life difficult. They've always been rooting for you and yeah. it was up to you to succeed or not succeed right they're there to help right that's isn't that they, the well line? that's <laughs> i'm here to help that it, that's absolutely that's exactly their slug line and uh i talking about attitude in future aviation future aviators i think that uh they should have that attitude with the fa is there to help it's their job to observe you uh doing your best and they are rooting for you mm-hmm yeah. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we have, you and I have had such a similar experience because we were at the same company doing the same job for the same person. And we have very similar attitudes when it comes to not just aviation, but I think in life as well. So, you know, everything you're saying is exactly, you know, what you and I have talked about in the past. And and it's great to get it out there because there's a lot of people starting out in this industry uh, and especially now, uh, where upgrades are happening faster than ever, uh, and you know the pathways that our generation of pilots took, the uh, the whole flight school post nine eleven, you know, get in there, fly a lot, build up a bunch of hours, and then job opportunities popping up, and you know this progression that we did was fast, that we thought was fast. Uh, now this new generation of pilots that are that are just now going through flight schools and you know universities learning aviation sciences and they're getting on with regionals and they're like well, okay you got an upgrade but you don't have enough total time to meet the FA minimum so you you know your upgrades there but you're going to have to you know fly as an FO for another 6 months to and we're going to get you your time cuz we need to upgrade you now and it's like whoa hold on a second and and it's kind of the path is changing you know you and I have talked about this in the past where the way we did things is great, but is not really the way things are happening today. Well, that's uh, perfectly spoke again. Um, and yeah, we have talked about it. And it's uh, the guys that we fly with now are captains. Their path, uh, primarily being military, was totally different than us. I'm not sure. Uh, how they feel about having a civilian guy sit next to them when their their generation was primarily military, right? Um, and how we're going to feel as a captain looking at our FO, whose path is going to be completely different than the path we took. Mm-hmm. 
um, paths for careers change with time and economics and money. So, so um, the path that the next generation of aviators is going to be completely different than ours. Yeah. And that's something that I would like to revisit maybe on another show here in the future with you is, you know, how we maybe are perceiving the changes that are happening today and how those changes will lead to a path to a legacy airline or a career position for the aviators that are in training now. Um, But let's get back to your story. You were there about five years as a, as a Czech airman and and an FAC there at Sandpiper. And you ended up uh, taking advantage of a program that allowed us to go through to the the main line or the legacy carrier that we fly for today, legacy airlines, the fictitious name that we use to protect ourselves simply because we don't represent uh, the company we work for in any way, shape or form. So legacy airlines, uh, there you were, you're in your, your, Indoc class or your IOE uh, before IOE Indoc indoctrination. What was that like? Your your first couple of days there. It, well, uh, it was super exciting, and I was thrilled, but I was also let down. Really? Um, yes. Uh, the reason why I say that is uh, during that time when you and I were both Czech Airmen, and I was FAC, you were an FAC. I was actively and aggressively pursuing an airline job for legacy airlines. And, um, I did, uh, seven job fairs for them. Um, and, uh, kept my, my application updated and I did it, uh, once a month, every time I paid bills, I would, I would go on there and update my time. That's a good idea. And I never got an interview. I never got to, all the work I did. I never got to show anybody. I never got to tell time when yeah. I never got to, uh, show my strength and weaknesses. And, and really, uh, I never got to do that. Well, I remember that time, uh, you and I were talking about, you know, class dates and, you know, cause we had a list, obviously it was a spreadsheet that, uh, the union at the time, uh, would send out to all the pilots saying, okay, these are the guys that are going and guys and gals. And, and, uh, you know, next, uh, class is going to be now and they're going to pick, you know, these many people. And we were calculating, uh, and you were a little bit ahead of me and something happened to you. You, you got a class date and a phone call at the same time. Do you remember? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, it is a funny story, but irritating. So it was, uh, I got the, uh, the the email came that we were accepted as as part of the flow through program. Mm-hmm. Two days after I got that email, I got the invite to interview. Yeah, and I said a bunch of bad words. <laughs> I remember you called me and you're like, "What? Oh, what the hell? <laughs> All this yeah. work that you did, you were you were yep. so diligent in in doing everything you were supposed to do as as a qualified applicant and." You know, and then at the last second, oh, by the way, it's kind of like that Alanis Morissette song, right? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And and that's why I spoke to uh, earlier in our interview. I said I had two defeats, personal defeats is in my career. One is how I compartmentalized being displaced from captain back to FO. 
And the other is how I wasn't interviewed or picked for the legacy airline. Yeah. And I don't know if you, um, if I ever told you the story or if you heard from a previous episode, um, the very first check airman, check airman that I ever had at the regional airline that we were working for, uh, was just like you mentioned, he was a class act. He was clear, concise. He was just completely going out of his way to help me out. You know, he would text me uh, like weeks later going, Hey, everything going okay. How's the line going? I mean, this guy was exactly the way I've always imagined, you know, a, a check airman at a, at an airline would be. And I wanted to be like that someday. And he kept up with me over the years through social media and whatnot. And around the same time you were making all these efforts to try to get in through the front door and not wait at the line that's in the back door where we had this flow through agreement. Um, and he kept walking into HR and, you know, there was a time when it was all about who you knew and it was all about connections and, you know, just walk in your resume and some cheap pilot would call you and go, well, come on down for an interview. And, you know, you know, we like what we see. Uh, we'll get, we'll get you started on the process. That all got kind of put aside and now it was algorithms, internet and online, everything online. Don't talk to anybody. And you couldn't even walk a resume in if you wanted to, they wouldn't accept it. And so he so, walked in there one day and said to the secretary of the, of human resources, uh, for pilot recruitment, you know, I got this guy, he's, you know, got all these positions that he's earned over at the regional carrier. He's, you know, class act. He's been putting his application in and he hasn't heard anything back. Can I just, can I just ask, you know, everything okay? Is he, is he, should he just keep waiting or, and she looked it up for him and uh, she started asking him questions. She's like, well, how often does he update his resume? He's like, ah, he told me like once every six months, you know, when, when the flight time is like a couple hundred hours in, he, he, up, he updates it. She's like, oh, okay, that's strike one. Uh, and she goes, how many job fairs has he gone to? He's like, well, he kind of works for the, the parent or the sister company or, the, you know, the, the little brother here. Uh, so he hasn't gone any job fairs. Oh, that's strike two. You know? And so she's going down the list. And who does he fly for? Oh, Sandpiper Regional. Uh, okay, well, wholly owned. Yeah, that's not going to work. Uh, yeah, but he's a he's you know check airman. He's doing. A, oh, well, he gets points for that. Yeah, he gets points for that. And you're and you're vouching for him. You know, you'll you'll write him a letter of recommendation. He's like, yeah, I already have. He's like, oh yeah, okay, he gets points for that. But uh, uh-uh, he works for that company. He has a spot. We're not going to, you know, take him out of line and put him in the front door, unless, you know, he's the algorithm fits and it, and it says to us, Hey, contact this guy. We're not going to do that. He just tell him to wait his turn. It's only a year away at the time. And that was a big blow as well uh, to hear that. Well, that's, that's exactly what, uh, you know, what we'll talk about maybe in another episode, if you invite me back, the, Absolutely. uh, the, how the process is changing, how algorithms and online, um, it, like online applications have taken the place of pilots walking around with their resume, which is how you started, how I started, and how it was done before us, right. and how it's changed now. And there are some there are some tricks and tips that I've learned by going to these many, 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 many job fairs. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, as much as they were expensive, as much as they were hard for me to commute to. 
as much as it was time away uh, when you and I both didn't have a great schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I really learned a lot from every single job fair. Um, and you, I learned a lot about the process, about the algorithm, which you talk about, mm-hmm. how it's completely changed. And they don't actually even do job fairs anymore. FAPA is oh, really? one of the... Yes, one FAPA is one of the uh, outlets that uh, arranges these job fairs, and FAPA, uh, at least American Airlines, United, and Delta. Um, I don't know if Atlas is part of it, but they do not attend. Oh, so here they are, you know, putting so together job had, fairs, and and the big three uh, are not even there. Right. So, I mean, there's job fairs for uh, foreign carriers, there's job fairs for regional airlines, but the 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 legacy airlines, all of them included, mm-hmm. and some of the bigger non-legacies mm-hmm. um, are not doing it the way that they did several years ago. So it's not even, a generation, but... Yeah. So it's even recent. morphed uh, recently, like we're talking in the last yes. few years. Yeah. Right. On my last job fair, I was kind of uh, not told not to come back that, you know, that I had everything on my resume that, but that was explained the process uh-huh. on the way that they're doing it now. Uh-huh. So uh, basically the person that uh, I was talking to at the job fair, I kept going back to the same person trying to make a good impression so on and so forth and they recognized me and they 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 kind of had not like a defeating conversation but just explaining to me that look you you're exactly what we're looking for you have i can't ask you for anything more on your resume than you have Uh however this is the process that that we're doing now and i'm not telling you not to come because it it does help but we're not even going to be doing these anymore Uh yeah and that's tough so, to hear, you know, because, you know, just when you learn the process and then it kind of now it's changing and it's morphing. And and yeah, that's absolutely something I would like to talk to you a little bit more in depth uh, on in a future episode. But let's finish this off here with your time now. You've reached the tip of the pyramid. You're now flying for the legacy car- carrier that you really wanted to fly for from the beginning. Isn't, isn't that correct? Uh, yeah, but. Uh, I have a feeling that both you and I are not done yet. I expect you to be the chief pilot of LA and I'll be the chief pilot in Chicago. Oh, you, so have, you have a I, large I aspirations for us both, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop. I, uh, I, I really love, um, I really love what I do and it. Unless something stops me, I'm not going to stop. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, because you, you never stop learning. And it's been a great experience uh, so far dealing with the ups and downs and learning how to manage them and helping people manage them uh, and continuing to give back. Yeah. Um, and that in, in rules of success, the last rule should be to give back. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, at the onset of this episode, you mentioned that you just got back from vacation. Would you like yes, to tell absolutely. me a little bit about that wonderful vacation you just took? Yeah, my uh, my wife and I went to um, Cayman Islands, and we were there for uh, a little over a week, uh, getting away from the cold winters here in Chicago and enjoying the beach. 
Nice. See, membership has its privileges. Am I right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You gotta you gotta take the good with the bad if you're gonna be away from home and uh, uh, you're gonna work hard. Then uh, definitely enjoy the perks. So it sounds like you've got this whole you know balance act that all of us aviators kind of have to deal with when you're dealing with you know tough schedules, winter operations, you know extensions. Uh, our particular company is going through a very uh, let's just say transitional time right now uh, with all kinds of uh, contract negotiations and dealings with, and it's tough. It's tough because there's a lot of gray area out there that gets you know pushed upon us as aviators. Schedules get uh, torn apart, and there's a balancing act between dealing with this profession, dealing with the schedule changes and the rigors and the and the demand that a career airline pilot has. And balancing family, balancing time at home, balancing your your persona, your your personal life. How do you do it? And what is the best advice you can give anyone out there listening? Um, you know, again, talking and and learning from your friends. Uh, it's not. I I can't give one advice to to help everybody because uh, when I got hired at. Um, Sandpiper Regional, the regional that we both work for, I was 23. Yeah. So how old were you when you got hired? Oh, man. Uh, I was a little, I was older because this was a second career for me. Um, I did 10 years in retail management, and then I decided I want to fly airplanes. So I think I came into this, I think it was 28 when I got hired, 28 or 29. And uh, you... You were married when you started, right? Yes. Yes. Married. And I had a six month old baby at home when I first Um, first started this career field. Right. I I definitely uh, was not. And I wasn't interested in being married. I was uh, aspiring to live the airline pilot lifestyle. Yes. Um, So I I stayed single. And um, I, again, I learned uh, that aspect of my life. when you go into an airline job already married, there's a different set of uh, of rules or things that uh, you both are learning. Uh, if you go into it single like I did, um, you can find somebody along the way that, that will match that a little bit better than if you had already been married. Right. So I dated, um, I enjoyed dating. I enjoyed being single and, um, I tried different things. I've, I've dated flight attendants. I've dated regular, uh, nine to five girls. And I ended up with my wife now who is a nurse and her schedule fluctuates. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, Wednesdays off together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, that actually was the successful relationship in an airline job once I already had the airline job. Yeah. So uh, there's no advice I can give because everybody's puzzle that they're putting together is different. So my puzzle, I I started the edges and I started filling in the middle. Um, That's just how it worked out for me. Um, But that's me. That's finding somebody that matched my schedule already. Yeah. So your advantage in, in this scenario that, that you give is, you know, you were able to kind of find your way in your career before you started to find your way 
in a personal relationship. And that helped because kind of were able to explain and not just explain, but show what to expect when you have a relationship with a pilot at, you know, at a commercial setting um, versus when you have a relationship with someone ongoing and then you get into this career and it's like, wait a minute, you're gone all the time. You were used to be home every night. You know, what do you mean? Wait a minute. You know, you're not making much money right now. What's the beginning of the career? Yeah. But how many years do we have to, you know? So yeah, there's a lot of challenges and, but here you are now in a, a healthy, stable relationship, flying for a carrier where your schedules aren't as bad as they were. You don't do, you know, five, six legs a day anymore. Um, so it's another advantage. Uh, you, you didn't have to do all that with a partner and a family at home and kids that are saying, you know, I never see daddy anymore, uh, <laughs> which is very sad. Um, so yeah, so that's where you ended up, but you still right now, here you are today. I mean, you're, you're taking time to spend time with your partner to, to go on these vacation, these trips, um, and to balance that with a career in aviation. And I think that is really how you do it. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's part of the journey, as you said, from the beginning. And you start off in your career with very, very limited time. When you're a flight instructor, uh, at least for me, I was a dispatcher and a flight instructor. So I was either sleeping at O'Hare or the little airport, well, medium-sized airport that I flight instructed out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was no free time. And then, um, when you start with a a regional airline, that's still not a lot of free time, but you're learning to manage it as you, you get really good at managing your time when you have no time. Mm -hmm. So as time starts making itself available to you, you can really be successful in that. So quality of the time that you have now is well spent. Versus making yeah, all the mistakes as you go and trying to learn along the way. Right. So it's just like uh, going to college. You know, you, you, when you first go to college or university, you're learning time management. You're like, I have to fit in studying. I have to fit in laundry. I have to eat. And of course, I have to drink beer. And there party. you go. And I can't be hung over because I have a test, but I also have to do my laundry. Right. There you go. So right? it's time management. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is tougher in the beginning and it gets better and better um, as you move along in your career. Um, but it, it, if you're good at time management, when it's tough, you'll be even more successful as you have more time. Mm-hmm. Well, next week on the show, uh, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, more of this time management with aviators. We're going to try to dive into distance learning uh, what the deal is with all that. And uh, I would like to have you back on a future episode so we can discuss the next generation of pilots, the career progression that they can expect, at least in today's market. And we, I'd also like to pick your brain on what you think is a good way to handle when you're with a difficult pair. So a difficult captain or a difficult FO or a time you had as a, as an instructor or maybe a time you had as a Czech airman with a difficult scenario. Because those scenarios, as we discussed earlier in this episode, you learn from. And if we can share that knowledge, I think that is a great way to help people on their journey to make good decisions. What do you say? 
Yeah, I, I think I, I'd be excited to to be a part of that episode, and I think that that would be uh, one to look forward to, especially if uh, if you're a listener to the podcast. I think that uh, that that would be something that a lot of people get a lot of benefit from. Absolutely. Well, Max, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with this grateful aviator about, you know, talking about your career progression, your journey, uh, your insight to what the future holds with this career progression into the commercial aviation field. And I just want to say thanks again for sitting down with us and love to have you back. Excellent work. Uh, look forward to it. And uh, I'll just look, be looking forward to all your podcasts. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, another episode complete. What did you think? Let us know what you think of the show and how we're doing. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can do that in a variety of ways. The easiest way is to visit www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There is your one-stop place for the podcast. On the homepage at the bottom, there's a contact us link where you can send feedback. You can also check out the episode audio. Any of those links will take you to the anchor.fm website or app. There you can leave audio feedback. You can become a contributor to the show. Um, And you can also check out the unique album covers that I make for each episode. If you are on social media, you can follow us at Squawk Ident Podcast or on Twitter at Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. In closing, I'd like to say thanks again to Max for taking the time to be on the show. I look forward to future discussions. I also think it's about time we bring back segments like There We Were and From the Flight Line. So stay tuned to Squawk Ident for more aviation content, more stories about the journey, and the challenges associated with this career. I'm your host, Aviator Tony. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this grateful aviator. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other.